0: Hey, this is Doug Birsch, and you're listening to the Fairly Spiritual Show. Uh, This is the second episode of an 18 part series on my new book, The Community of God A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. Each week, we're looking at one chapter from my book. This week, the chapter is What is Wrong with the Church? So, there's a whole industry on what's wrong with the church. The church is declining. Why is the church declining? Is it because the church just isn't doing a good enough job? Or are there bigger trends in the world that we must face? We're going to look at this controversial issue in today's episode.
1: They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. This So glad you could join me for another episode.
0: Uh, this is a special series, eighteen parts. You say why eighteen? Well, we're, what we're doing is just, this is just a free resource for you. I have a book out called "The Community of God: A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor," but I wanted to also have a podcast that goes along with it. And the podcast has its own information, so uh, you'll find stuff in this podcast that's not in the book, and lots of stuff in the book that's not in the podcast. It's just another way to facilitate conversation. On today's show, we're going to talk about what is wrong with the church. Uh, That's chapter two in the book. And uh, hear me clearly. I know I might say stuff strongly that you disagree with. Uh, Forgive me if I ever say something where you're like, hey, Doug, that's harsh. I can't say everything in a half an hour here. I I do want to say what's on my heart. I want to be unfiltered, and things are nuanced a little better in the book, but I I think we need to have this discussion. So what is wrong with the church is almost an an industry in literature, in conferences. There are so many books, there are so many things written about this. I was a radio host for five years and I would have books mailed to me on a regular basis. And there are so many books, so many blogs, so many posts on what is wrong with the church. And as the church declines, and right now in America the church is in decline, My assumption is the more the church declines, the more there's going to be a need for books and conferences and blogs and posts on what's wrong with the church. Now, the reality is uh, nuanced discontent, you know, discontent about what's wrong with the church is kind of the luxury of a stable society. Uh, We can sit around and complain about the nuances of what's wrong with the church in America because we have tremendous religious freedom. You don't hear about these sorts of things let's say, in countries where you are beheaded if you admit to being a Christian. That, that's another dialogue. So some of these discussions are even the luxury of the religious freedom that we have. But there, there is a problem in America. There are things that are wrong with the church, but I want to kind of challenge maybe some of the assumptions behind this what's wrong with the church narrative. One of the issues is we live in a time right now where we have more freedom than ever, We have more uh, choices than ever. In America right now, we have more freedom to to choose where you want to worship or how you want to worship than ever before. We have more flavors of religious expressions and Christian expressions than ever before. Even within denominational settings, we have more opportunities to find our own little flavor than ever before. Yet at the same time, with more options than ever before in American history, we are more disgruntled. There's probably, there's never been more discussion about, you know, there's just not a church in this town that meets my needs. There's just not a place where I can worship. There's just nowhere that I belong. And again, I'm not trying to belittle those things. I started a church myself because at some levels I didn't relate to the churches around me. So I'm not trying to minimize the fact that there are unhealthy churches out there or even to minimize the fact that many people feel alienated. But there's almost this assumption that the reason people are not going to church is the church just isn't doing a good enough job. And so we have conference after conference, and book after book, and blog after blog, and blog after blog. Man, blog is just hard to say anyway. I just hate that blog. Blog. I can't stand that word. But anyway, that's that's the word we got. So there's so many blogs out there, and and you know I left this church, and if the church was just different, I'd totally be going to church. But I don't know if that's the real narrative of why the church is declining. In fact, I don't think that's the main reason. You see, there's a bigger trend going on in our world, especially in America, but I think it's even happening globally, at least in Western culture. There's a greater trend of individuality that's happening. That's affecting every community organization. And I think we need to look at that before we just spend more energy and more money and more resources <laughs> making another book or another blog or another podcast about what's wrong with the church. If you look at our society, almost every community organization is waning. Just look at the trends. Uh, you can see, you know, Kiwanis, PTA, Elks. Any any organization, any club, any, <laughs> any kind of group that where you want to gather people together and define yourself as a larger expression uh, versus just the individual, those groups are declining. Uh, even unions are declining. The concept of us as a whole, a larger group than individuals, those realities in our culture are declining. We are becoming increasingly a society of individuals or of individuality. All organizations tend to be declining, and this declining has occurred in our culture as a trend from generation to generation. And I just want to look at this a little bit from generations. We'll look at World War II, then we'll look at the boomers, and then we'll look at Generation X and the millennials. And in the book, I go into this in much more detail. But just as a general sweeping trend, if you look at the World War II generation they're really the last generation that probably had a better understanding of the community above the individual. And this wasn't all good. I'm not saying this is a, always a positive thing. But they had an idea of the community as the more important thing, or community identity as more important than individual expression. And you can see that in the United War effort. You can see that even in the formation and growth of help organizations. Many of those organizations I talked about that are declining now were formed during that World War II era. You can see it in uh, governmental programs like uh, FDR's New Deal or uh, Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty. The fact that people believe the government could come together and solve national problems. you know In our current culture, we don't even think that that's possible. You know Whether these programs worked. There was this belief, you know, Lyndon Johnson, like, we have people poor in the South who are walking around with just a, a white shirt on, and as a nation, that's not right. So collectively, we're going to work together for a war on poverty, or FDR believing that we can do this, you know, collective thing that allows us to deal with with the problems of the nation, this belief that collectively you could work together to solve the problems of individual states or of individuals, that concept of a collective view of our nation, uh, that seems to kind of have been the last generation where you see that. The idea of it's its not about you, it's about the family. It's not about you, it's about the nation. You, know, you have nationalism and national pride. And, and again, some of these things could be misused, so I'm not saying these are necessarily positive things in how they're applied. But that, to me, is the generation, kind of the last generation, of the community over the individual. Uh, one of the, the sad implications of that is often the community was defined in terms of a white male-dominated bias. So the community expression did not value minority expressions or any expression that wasn't about that dominant white male definition of what it means to be American and other things like that. I, I just quoted something from the book of, of, of how this looked. The hierarchy of allegiance to the group over the individual was revealed in some of the following church dynamics. This is how it expressed itself in the church, and this is just from the book. Here's some of the church dynamics that occurred in the World War II generation. There was a high value for church membership, a strong commitment to shared doctrinal distinctives, a respect for church authority over individual preferences and needs, a commitment to conformity above self-expression or self-discovery, a strong commitment to maintain relationships and good standing with existing communities. At a macro level, churches define themselves less by their uniqueness and more by the way they conform to and maintain proper societal expectations. Now, the boomers came along and they went in another direction, and some of you can remember that a little better, right? They began to value the individual over the community. They saw healthy environments as defined by the the ability of someone to be able to express their own individuality. Boomers began to broaden the definition of whom and what was included in the American identity, right? They sought self-discovery and self-fulfillment over conformity. And again, these are not necessarily bad trends, but there's a movement towards individuality. There's a lot of positive things there to not just make the definition of America to be white, uh, middle-class men. I mean, that's not a good definition of community. But boomers came along and broadened that out, and it's more about individual expression, it's more about individual wants, and it's more about self-discovery than conformity. And you'd see it in some of the big issues of the time. You you see in the tension of the Vietnam War, there was this battle between patriotic uniformity and individual conscientious dissent. You saw it in uh, the counterculture movements, the expression of individualism through music, through drugs, through sex, and through political dissent. But what happened is you saw this increasing understanding that fulfillment in life is less about what the larger community wants and more about what I individually need. Now, these values became expressed in how churches were formed as well. And uh, here's a little quote from the the book. Uh, The boomers wove their values into the American church culture. Churches begin to define themselves by their individuality. By the way, they were unique from each other in style as well as substance. Church cultures became structured around the felt needs of individuals rather than historical expectations. The music and messages became increasingly geared to fulfilling the individual preferences, desires, and wants of the congregants. The goal of church involvement became more about self-fulfillment than group identity. Boomers began to assess church health and participation based on their personal needs, rather than on congregational expectations or standards. This led to a higher demand for more church service options and felt-needs-focused ministries, with a strong emphasis on individuality. Christians had less allegiance to maintaining long-term relationships with church communities. Individuality ultimately took precedence over long-term church relationships and commitments. So you see, in the boomer generation, people were much more willing to change churches. You, know, you used to have it within church, churches, you'd be in a community, community had very few church options. People would go to a church and they'd actually buy a grave plot. And they would go to that church their whole life and be buried in the graveyard next to that church. I mean, that's unheard of now. No one would commit to more than what? A few months to a church or maybe a few years. People committed not just their life, but their kid's life to the expression of that church. Church in the boomer generation became more about, well, you know, this meets my needs or it doesn't meet my needs. And again, some of those things were healthy, but it moved towards more of an individualistic expression of what church and community is about. You see some pastors and some churches as, as expressions of this, and not necessarily bad expressions, but just kind of examples of this. You have Rick Warren of Saddleback Church and Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Church, where they talked about crafting services around the individual needs or the felt needs of those who attended. And you see this, that the preaching and the music and the programs were crafted around individual needs and individual wants. And in fact, church health is even assessed through individual satisfaction. One of the results from this I've seen is that people began to expect more from church, more programs, more quality, more quality of the music. More quality of the preaching, more quality of the programs. Everyone began to assess things as I need more in order to be okay. I know as a church planner I've found that people would say, Oh, Pastor, I love your preaching. I love this church, but you know, there's just not enough for my kids. And I I, you know, I really need something strong for my kids if they're going to be okay. And I sometimes wanted to say, Oh, that's great. You know, my kids have to attend this church. I guess they're just going to hell, but I'm glad your kids can escape. You know, there's a part of me that thought, Really, do we do we believe that? The future of your children rests upon having the most amazing children's ministry downstairs when a church only has a hundred people. But, but that's kind of what has happened, this idea that I need more things, uh, more programs, uh, more, uh, just better, in order for us to be okay. And if, if we don't have that, we're going to go somewhere else to find it, because there are better options out there. Now, that movement, I believe, has continued to Generation X and to the developing millennial generation. Uh, in the book, I wrote this. The boomer generation spawned numerous churches intentionally structured to meet individual needs. So the boomer generation, uh, they basically did this. What, they, they said, well, we'll structure churches around that need, but they still went to church. This is what has happened with Xers and millennials. They've said, well, why do we need to go to church to meet those needs? So I wrote this. Many Xers and millennials raised in these environments found that felt-needs-focused churches were still not able to satisfy their own personal needs, questions, and desires. Consequently, many left the church because it still did not meet their unique personal expectations. This has led to a growing number of believers seeking Christian fulfillment outside the institution of the organized church. It has also led to an increasing number of posts, articles, and books arguing against the need for any semblance of a traditional church Community, so although many talk about valuing community and and people say well, what do you, what do you mean I, I I hear younger generations talk about valuing community i I, I believe people say that they value community, but what 's happening is we say we value community, but i don't think we really know how to abide in community. You see this in marriage, people talk about marriage in the most loving ways now, right We talk about you know fulfillment and connection and deep emotional connection but the reality is the institution of marriage we don't know how to how to abide in it we get married you know we wait longer and longer to get married we have affairs and divorces and we don't really honor the actual institution of marriage that much in the modern era now if you go back to other generations let's say like the world war ii generation they didn't talk that romantically necessarily about marriage They didn't talk, you know, oh, you complete me, you're just, you know, there wasn't those Jerry Maguire moments. And yet they valued that institution of community, like, well, we're going to stay married for life. This is, we're going to stick with this thing. So you can talk about valuing love and valuing connection, yet not be able to know how to actually abide together for a long time. Now I get it, people can abide together for a long time and still have a terrible relationship, and it's not about love. So just because people stay together doesn't mean it's a loving community. But it doesn't say that a culture values community just because they fill out on surveys they value community. Ultimately, showing that we value community is that we abide in communities. For a prolonged period of time and we facilitate communities and it seems to me as we've moved more and more to an individualistic culture we don't know how to do that and i would include myself in that i'm not talking as some sort of outsider here now i i just wanted to bring this up that i i think there's a bigger problem here now, i do i do think there are people actively working to facilitate communities and every generation there's exceptions and no one likes to be talked about in sweeping generalizations i hated it i'm of generation x when people would just say all generation x's are like this or all millennials are like this or all boomers are like this so i get that there are people facilitating community right now they're they're doing it through social media they're doing it through fundraising for powerful programs that are changing the world they're planting churches they're They're actively meeting together, there are house church movements, there's all kinds of things going on. But the reality is, in the general big picture, community organizations across the board in every tier of our culture are declining. And we are moving more and more towards an individualistic culture. And we're defining spirituality more and more just in terms of what do I need? This isn't in the book, but I was reading in a book the other day about we have this networked individuality where we just kind of look for what meets my needs. I just find a network of that helps me and that helps me and I have a need here, so you help me with that need, and, and we work through that grid. It's very hard for us to know how to exist in a prolonged period of time through highs and lows through conflict with the community. To me, that is the big picture problem. And that's why I wrote this book. I believe the world is becoming increasingly individualistic. And we can write endless posts about what's wrong with the church, and those posts are not going to fix the big problem. There's a bigger problem. If the world is becoming increasingly individualistic, then we must know what it means to facilitate biblical community. Regardless of what's happening around us, we must know what the Bible says about healthy community, and we must find ways to facilitate, to foster, to grow, to develop, to expand biblically healthy communities, regardless of what happens around us. We have to do that, because we can't measure the church based on what's happening around us. We have to say, this is what Jesus did. This is what happened in the Bible. This is as best as what we know. This is how community was fostered. And we're going to foster these kinds of communities. And people might accept it, or they might reject it, but this is what we're going to do. This might Revival might occur, the church might grow, but the church might decline. We don't know what will happen. But we must do our church thing. We must do our Christian community thing based on a biblical understanding of community and not just based on what the world wants. Because if we do things based on what the world wants, I think we will go to an increasing level of individuality. See, the reality is community is not necessarily fun. I found this out as a pastor that I realized when preaching, here's a little secret. And even as I'm doing this podcast, I know I'll say stuff and someone will get upset at me. And I wish I could just talk with you and go, okay. I know these have individual issues, and your life is different than my life, and I don't want anyone to feel judged And if you've been hurt by a church and beat up and harmed, and I get it, and I'm not just trying to make you feel bad if you're not involved in a church right now. And as we go through this podcast, we will talk about all the various ways that people can facilitate community, and as far as I'm concerned, it can be in your house, it can be in a barn, it can be at a church, it can be in a cathedral. I, I don't really care how it's expressed, but we have to find a way to gather together in intentional ways. And you don't have to have a license from a denomination to do it. I happen to have one, but I'm okay if you want to do it in an informal way. But at some level, there has to be a body that's bigger than our own individual lives. But here's the reality. When you look at the Scripture, and when you begin to preach the Word, there's a part of it that becomes difficult. In fact, uh, every sermon that I preach is about death. And and I'll explain that. Every sermon I preach is about death. And I think every one of these podcasts will be about death in this sense. That there's an aspect of the gospel where we don't want to do what it requires. It requires that we die to ourselves. I can want to preach about love and say, oh, this is great. I'm going to preach about love. Everybody likes love. And I get up there and I start preaching about love. And some people are like, yes, this is good. Keep preaching, Doug. We love this. And then others start folding their arms and frowning. I'm like, why are they frowning? Because I start preaching Jesus' words, and Jesus says, You know, love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them and don't expect to be repaid. And there's people saying, I don't want to love my enemies and I don't want to forgive and I want to stay angry and I want to hurt that person because they hurt me. So they have to die to themselves and live for Christ. And it's the same with community. We don't, we don't want to live in community because community is hard. People hurt us in community, people are mean just as sin affects the individual sin affects communities and you get hurt in community i'll tell you what i honestly want to do i don't i don't i wouldn't go to church every week if i wasn't the pastor i mean i got to be honest about that i don't want to be hurt by people i would you know who i would hang out with the people that treat me well all the time i would hang out with my wife and my kids and friends i i don't i don't need more hurt If I'm just hanging out in community to meet my individualistic needs, I would not hang out in community. I must have a theological understanding, a biblical understanding. I must, more than just a biblical understanding, I need to hear God speak to me about why it is important to abide with his body, a body of believers. And if I don't know that, if I don't have a strong understanding of the importance of abiding in community, I won't do that because it requires a death. It requires a death. I must die to myself. I must hang out with people I don't want to hang out with. I must love people I don't want to love. I must walk through conflicts I don't want to walk through. Transformation occurs as we walk through seasons of hurt and pain and conflict. Now, yes, there are some communities we flee from. They're dangerous. They're harmful. They're not good places for us. But I'll tell you, every healthy marriage requires that we walk through a lot of garbage. Every relationship requires that we continue to abide. And the church is the same thing. See, I I wrote this in the book. Our culture is not doing well. Society is moving away from the pursuit of healthy, committed relationships. Our culture is fractured and hurting. The church reflects some of the same brokenness. Consequently, churches are declining in numbers and will most likely continue to decline along with society's rejection of community. Repeatedly rebuking the church and church leadership for their ineptitude will not change this trend. The question remains, how should or can churches foster biblical community in this current society? Or how should the church function regardless of what happens in our individualistic world? I believe it is important that we don't just say, well, you should go to church because you're a Christian. That's not good enough. Or you should just facilitate community because it's a good thing to do. We must have a biblical understanding of why we gather together as Christians. And it can't just be because it feels good. Because it doesn't. Not all the time. It doesn't. You're going to face rejections and hurts and pain. And it can't just be about my needs, because as I grow, it's not about my needs. In fact, I don't pastor for me anymore. I pastor for the community of God. In the coming shows, we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about community. We're going to see how community is a part of God's nature and our nature. We're also going to look at the central promise in God's covenant with Abraham is about community and that our very salvation story is not just about individual salvation but about a community being formed through us. We're going to look at how community plays a crucial role in discipleship and also in the proclamation of the gospel. And we're going to look at how to facilitate healthy community in our personal lives and church communities. I know some of you have been hurt, and I know in talking about this, it's like, Doug, you don't know, you don't understand, and I'll tell you completely, I don't know, and I don't understand, and you may never exist in the same kind of community I exist in. I'm not your judge, and you're not my judge, but I'm not asking you to join some form of a church. What I'm asking you is to walk with me on this journey through Scripture. What we're going to do in in these next shows, is we're going to go through each chapter of the book, The Community of God, and we're going to look at a theology of how God formed humans, just Adam and Eve from the beginning, and how we need each other, and how sin has corrupted community and relationships. And we'll look at the effects of that. We'll look at it biblically. And we'll look at the power of community, and the power of dysfunction, and the power and the beauty of community. And we'll look at how Christ has restored us and brought us into a better place, and how the Holy Spirit can lead us and help us to abide in community even though we're still going to face sin and hurt and pain. And my hope is at the end of this process, we'll be able to find a way led by the Holy Spirit and our knowledge of Scripture to abide in a better place, in a better sense of what it means to be not just in isolation about my needs and my wants, but to be able to abide with others in meaningful community where we build each other up in Christ and we have a larger expression of the body of Christ. That's my hope. That's the goal. And if we disagree, could we do it nicely? And could we understand that I don't have all the answers and you don't either, right? We're just trying our best here. And I'll be kind to you and you'll be kind to me. Okay. That's what we're doing. Today's podcast was just a brief look at the second chapter of the Community of God. Uh, You're going to find more of this information in the book. I'd encourage you to pick it up. Our next show is going to deal with chapter three, which is entitled Fully Human in Community. We're going to examine how there is no such thing as a human in isolation. Thanks for listening. Hey, you've been listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. If you'd like more information on obtaining a signed copy of The Community of God, or if you want access to other podcasts and ministry materials, then please visit my website at fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. Also, special thanks to my brother Dan Bursch for providing the theme music for today's show. You can get his music on iTunes. Peace, and I will see you next time.
1: This is that. I cannot do what you've called me to It is not possible dream.